Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 5, The Kings, the human ones. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can find Episode 1 easily at 15minutesontheway.com. Otherwise, brace yourself for a podcast in God's voice telling His side of your story. So there are two of Saul's children that are devoted to David, Michal as his wife and Jonathan as his sworn brother slash BFF. So when Saul calls Jonathan and the servants in to discuss a more active assassination campaign against David, since the Philistines are not getting the job done and are instead losing to David left and right, Jonathan secretly warns his compadre of the danger he's in and then stands up for David in conversation with the king. Dad, what has David ever done to you? All he's done is back you up and make you look good. To Saul's brief credit, this softens the old man's heart for a time. Until there's another altercation with the Philistines. Naturally, David, in his position of military leadership, trounces them with my blessing and they flee before him. Maintaining his pattern, Saul's jealousy, fueled by the dark side, pushes him over the edge, and he actually throws a spear at David when the commander has set his sword aside in favor of his lyre in order to make melody in the surly royal presence. Well, we're not going to detail the whole sequence here, as it reads like one of your modern-day soap operas. David isn't even safe in his home. Remember, his wife is the king's daughter, so she lowers him out the window in the middle of the night a la Rahab and puts a goat hair wig on a statue in his bed to fool the assassins. If you want to read it, it's in chapter 19 of 1 Samuel. Of course, she doesn't help matters much in terms of her dad's attitude by telling Saul's minions that David threatened to kill her if she didn't help him escape. But Michal has good reason to fear her dad, who is clearly no longer in his right mind, and all relational bets are off. Jonathan maintains his loyalty to David, and the two of them come up with a plan to determine whether the king is going to settle down again and allow David back into his courts, or it's time for Dave to skedaddle. Surprise, 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 it's the latter. David's been hiding out in the countryside, and Jonathan feigns archery practice to head out there with the sad news that David must flee. Thus begins a sequence of flights on David's part, hiding in one place, shifting to another, taking refuge with all kinds of people, from my priest in the town of Nob to an enemy king, Achish of Gath, a Philistine who didn't bother David because my boy feigns lunacy and is left alone as a madman. Along the way, others hear of David's flight, and some four hundred men attach themselves to him as the best hope for a better life in the new administration. These fellows all pretty much have a vested interest in a big turnaround, either in debt up to their eyeballs or similarly distressed. Although many see the unfairness of David's plight and are sympathetic towards him, Saul is still the king and has spies in many places, and he pursues his rival at every opportunity. 
The king punishes those who aid David and blesses those who provide intelligence against him and gets so close to his quarry as to be just on the other side of the hill from David. With perfect timing, however, the Philistines attack and draw Saul away at just the right moment. A most telling exchange, and perhaps the best moment in the story for both David and Saul, comes another time when Saul's gotten really good intel on David's whereabouts and is after him with his elite royal forces. Uh, This is 1 Samuel 24. When they're getting really close, closer than they realize, Saul decides he'd better relieve himself so as not to be uncomfortable during the expected ensuing battle. Having the dignity of a king, he slips into a cave before he pulls down his drawers and relaxes a while. And guess who just happens to be right behind Saul's perch there in the cave? Yep, good young David. His band of brothers make motions urging him to kill Saul while he's uh, indisposed and all. David, however, is an honorable man and still respects the king as my anointed leader over the nation for the time being. Besides, talk about a terrible story to be told about how your reign began. No, instead of dispatching the king at this quintessentially vulnerable moment, David quietly cuts a corner from Saul's tunic, an action covered by the sound and movement associated with the king's personal evacuation. When Saul finally trots out of the cave, David follows quickly on his heels and calls after him. My lord the king! Well, you've never seen anyone spin quicker on their heels than old Saul in that moment. Imagine his surprise at seeing the face that matches the voice he's just heard, and then seeing that face bow before him in allegiance. Yes, David certainly has the king's attention when he tells Saul, Why do you believe the people telling you I'm trying to harm or kill you? Here's a patch of your tunic I just sliced off in the cave when I could just as easily have sliced your throat open, which is what some were urging me to do. I won't, though, for there is no treason in my hands or heart. You are the king, and Yahweh made you so. Yahweh may take your life away, but I am not going to. If there's a choice between you or me to be made, He's the one who's going to have to make it. Well, even in his hard-heartedness and bluster, Saul can't help but be softened by the mercy extended him before his very eyes by David. You're a better man than I, kid, because I'd have killed you, as would anyone else, and I mean anyone, in your situation. May Yahweh reward you with good for the good you've done me today. Now I know that Yahweh is the one putting you on the throne, and you are not simply taking it for yourself. Just promise me one thing. In view of the mercy you've just shown me, once you're king, don't do like everyone else and wipe out all my descendants so my name is gone from history. Have mercy on them, too. David promised that he would. While they do not hug at this moment, It is on this pleasant note that they part ways. It is in this occasion of peace that I bring Samuel's time on earth to an end. 
and all Israel comes together to mourn his death and bury him in his hometown of Ramah beside the bones of his mother Hannah. He has served his pivotal role well, closing out the time of judges and getting a monarch on the throne. It's not his fault that Saul isn't working out. Samuel has even pronounced the coming end of Saul's brief, fitful reign, and Samuel has anointed with his own hands the king that will really get the Abra plan moving. David, who wisely slips away and heads back to the wilderness as the funeral finishes. Now that Samuel has been respectfully laid to rest, mostly, as time will tell, we can tell you that David's about to have another experience that's closely related to his sparing the indisposed king in the cave. But before we head into that, let us go back and chew on the spelunking episode a bit first. Saul's right when he tells David that no one else would have spared his life. Before his exit, Samuel clearly told the king that Yahweh is taking the kingship away from Saul and commensurately told David that he will be king. Now, your habitat has gotten accustomed to a change of political leadership that usually isn't triggered or facilitated by the death of the prior office holder. But that option simply does not exist in Saul and David's habitat. As a result, David's mercy in this instance is nothing less than astounding and much more than counterintuitive within his frame of reference. Again, so what? How does David, keeping his steps on the way at this point, extrapolate into your habitat? Well, for one, if you're up to replace somebody in their position at the office, don't kill them while they're defenseless in the lavatory. There's more than one way to stab someone in the back, though. So don't put down those you perceive as adversaries in order to make yourself look better either. Do the right thing over and over, and treat them kindly and with respect. This is more than what goes around comes around living. This is living that honors me, living that I will honor, at the right, ripe time. In quick contrast to this near-death experience for Saul, David finds himself in a situation that at first glance doesn't look very similar, but ends up with the same deeper theme. As we mentioned, after Samuel's funeral, David and his ragtag crew of motley men, up to around 600 of them now, head out into the wilderness. Uh, this episode takes up the rest of 1 Samuel 25. These are handy fellows to have around. They are decidedly on the side of Israel and her people, particularly with regard to other nations, and they establish a camp at the southwest border of Israel. This just so happens to put David and his band in a default position that protects the lands and herds of a fellow by the name of Nabal, protects him from raiding parties sneaking over the southwest border, that is. As long as David and his crew were there, there's not a bandit on my green earth that's going to try any midnight raids on Nabal's flocks. Now, if you spent any time around folks in the agriculture business, whether they're raising crops or cattle, any time there's a harvest of any kind, be it grain, meat, or another commodity, there's generally a party celebrating the same. 
or in very least a sizable meal to mark both the end of concentrated work required to bring things to market and the cash flow that results from that trip to the market. David is obviously well acquainted with the sheep business from his childhood, and when he hears Nabal's shearing the wool off his thousands of sheep, David knows what's coming next, a feast. He therefore sends a messenger to Nabal, asking if he would please be so kind as to share some of his bounty with David and his men, seeing as they've kept an eye on his border and prevented any of those sheep being stolen so they'd be safe, woolly, and still around when it came time for Nabal to steal their wool off them for himself. Well, Nabal, whose name just happens to mean fool in Hebrew, don't you know, sends the messenger back with a rude and rather insulting no as his answer, and this sets David fuming. He tells the men to strap on their swords because they're on their way to take vengeance on this discourteous fellow who's not sending them so much as a roasted goat in thanks. He doesn't take fifty, or even a hundred men either. He takes a whopping four hundred of his six hundred men in order to teach this obscure, though unquestionably rude, sheep rancher a message. See what's happened here? When the high and lofty issue of kingship was at hand, David was keen on doing the right thing waiting for me to do things in my time, trusting I would take care of him, having mercy on Saul, whom David could have easily slain. Suddenly, when the not nearly so lofty cause of roast mutton, appetite again, hangs in the balance, David is all ready to rain down vengeance on the admittedly stingy fool Nabal. The Lesson Mind your appetites as well as you do your lofty goals, friend, and walk with me on the way even when you're hungry. I'll make sure you get everything you need. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or on Facebook. Then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. You can find a link to our Patreon page there as well. We're sponsored by the Oak Haven Church in the Barn in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oleksandr Zadoyani writes our theme music at smartmediamusic.com. Kenny Eicher designs our website graphics, kennyeicherart.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.